Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast, and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We're here today to tackle one of the most complicated and ubiquitous challenges we have today, and that is dealing with anxiety. I am here with Dr. Kathy Melman. She's a clinical psychologist, and she's the clinical director of the outpatient psychiatry and behavioral medicine at Seattle Children's. And she comes to us with a ton of experience. She has been in private practice dealing with anxious kids, anxious teens, anxious parents in couples therapy and individual and group therapy to help people learn how to deal with being alive. (laughs) Um, She's been at Seattle Children's for eight years, and we're here to talk really about where does this anxiety come from and what in the heck are we going to do? Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I think all of us feel anxious trying to have a kid, figuring out how we're going to be a family, maybe figuring out how we're going to be a parent. I mean, this starts really early. I mean, Mm -hmm. in some ways, is anxiety just part of being human? Absolutely. Anxiety is a normal and natural emotion that we all have. And um, then certain experiences like changes in life, (laughs) um, things we really care about a lot, stressful situations increases anxiety. But it's a normal emotion that we all have. Yeah. And I think that brings up just from the very start, if we're thinking about, you know, I think lots of us experience ourselves as anxious at times when maybe what you're saying is, Anxiety is a normal response to a trigger of any kind that's high intensity. And then I think often, well, as we're raising kids in a, a kind of scrutinizing culture right now, we look around and wonder, wait, is my kid anxious or is my kid just being normal? So if you were thinking of just at a really high level, Kathy, like what, how does a parent know if they have an anxious kid? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question because... Um, We don't want to assume our child has anxiety to the level of an anxiety disorder if, in Uh fact, it's just normal childhood experiences. Right. And there are typical fears that happen at certain stages of development, like stranger anxiety when children are seven to nine years of age and they start to Seven, nine months. Thank you so much. No, that's all right. Well, just that. And we can they can have stranger danger anxiety when they're older, too. But I knew what you're talking about, that, you know, there's this funny time where infants start to it's almost kind of a part of, of object permanence. Right. Like wait, you're not the same thing. You're not the same person. Wait, you're not mom, right? And they start to freak out. Exactly. And so there are normal fears at different stages. And um, um, for for recognizing when anxiety is actually a concern to get some help with, what you look for is whether or not anxiety is interfering with functioning. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Like, what would be an example of a kid who whose mom would be like driving down the street right now listening to our podcast? Mm -hmm. And like, what are some of the bells that should go off? Like, when does what does that mean that it's really disrupting a child's life? So if a child's refusing to go to school, if they're um, not going to the birthday parties, if they're having trouble sleeping in their own room independently. Wait, hold on. Wait, I'm putting up like my palm (laughs) because that happens all the time. Right. That kids migrate to mom and dads or mom and mom or dad and dad dad's room, right, mm-hmm. in the middle of the night because they love the comfort of, of their parents. Mm-hmm. When is that pathology, or not pathology, but when is that interfering with life, and when is that just normal kid wanting to be with mom or dad? 
So it wouldn't be just one instance, like at night, um, sleeping in their own bed, particularly if you haven't trained the child to sleep independently. Right. They might then come into your bed right, right, right. frequently. Yeah, if um, you're a pushover, let me be clear here. If you're a pushover and your kid like shoves you over and you have a family bed, it might not be anxiety. Exactly. Yeah. And that's okay. Family beds after age one are safe and totally fine. And everyone, you know, makes their own decisions that way. But. Exactly. Okay. So, um, so this is something that you see much more frequently as they're reaction. It's almost their automatic reaction to a lot of different situations Mm -hmm. um, to be afraid, to be in distress, to Mm -hmm. do excessive reassurance seeking. Mm -hmm. Is this going to be okay? What's going to happen next? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that quick to cry one that makes you think of a child who's anxious? I mean, you know, some kids just something gets overwhelming or they're losing playing a game. I mean, Mm -hmm. like this happens in my own house, maybe Mm -hmm. with me in my own life, you know, and they tear up. Is is that one thing that you think gets in the way of a child's, like where where a mom should or dad should think, gosh, my kids may be a bit anxious? I, I, crying can be a sign of anxiety, but it's not necessarily a sign of anxiety. Okay. So it would, it would be um, distress and avoidance of actually doing some things. I see. Yep. Like um, if they cry a little bit because they're sensitive in something that they're doing and they're able to collect themselves pretty quickly yep. and then move on. That's that, not anxiety. That's not anxiety. So in a board game situation, if a child is quick to cry when they think they're losing and they leave and they don't come back to the game versus mm. they tear up a little bit, regain control, and then realize they might win, right? That's a different ball game. It, it is. It is. Um, what you're really looking for is kids who are tense, uh-huh. who are hard um, hard to convince to approach things, to face things, to do things. Yeah. Kids who are avoiding spending much time outside of the house, who aren't joining into activities and clubs, who aren't reaching out to other kids. Because uh-huh. they're just, that seems too stressful to them. Is that? Yeah, afraid to go outside and play maybe because the bee might sting you or I might get kidnapped. These kind of worry yeah. brain thoughts that really drive what you then see as behaviors that are um, kind of limiting their life. Yeah, and that I like that term, the worry brain, because I, I sometimes will talk with families in clinic, and I'll we'll be talking even just about nighttime sleep and what's called sleep latency, right, the time that it takes a child to kind of have the lights out and fall asleep. And I'll sometimes say, oh, are you, do you, are you one of those worriers, right? Or do you spin and spin at night? Is that one of the behaviors that makes you think of anxiety, that prolonged to sleep? Yes, that would make me think that a child might be anxious and want to gather more information. Yeah, okay. So, okay, so just as a recap, we know anxiety is kind of part of our normal life and part of a normal human existence. And yet when it's getting in the way, stopping a child from experiencing being a kid, the good stuff and even the hard stuff, school or birthday parties, social sleepovers, that's kind of when we can maybe say, oh, maybe this kid has a worry brain um, and maybe I need to get them some help. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things I, I, I love that we've talked about, Kathy, is that, you know, the great thing about getting kids help and acknowledging this, even if you think if you're starting to think your kid's anxious, is that if you teach them how to deal with anxiety early, right, then they have a whole like lifetime of knowing what to do. Yeah. If a child is wired together to be more anxious yeah. and um, that often runs in families as well. So um, you might wonder about whether or not your child is anxious by whether or not 
you or your partner also have an anxiety disorder, as well as seeing these patterns, um, if you get them the skills early on, then they'll have them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, we all want them. I mean, I think we could all work on them, right? Like, I think we could all be better at chilling out when life kind of heats up that way. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we're still talking about where anxiety comes from. So what about, like, you know, what happens to a maybe a non-anxious or an anxious person in a more stressful situation? So you've talked about in, in kind of environmental stress. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, so environmental stress, um, those hard, challenging um, life situations where you might um, have a loss, you might have um, a death of a caregiver, you might have um, even a change in caregivers, maybe mm-hmm. some, um, maybe if you had someone who was your nanny who is no longer working with you, if parents divorce, if um, there's moves, if there's um, changes mm-hmm. that happen in which school you go to, um, or so, so those so so all those different things that we can all like ah like you know chalkboard fingernail chalkboard type stuff that makes you cringe a little bit for a child's life is it is it that like anxiety comes from that i mean can you just have a child have a couple anxious days and that's appropriate and normal or is there a time period when you say um, a family has a, a change where they get divorced or parents are separated or a new caregiver comes in and like how do we know when it's anxiety or when it's really um, anxiety that we have to intervene on as parents, mm-hmm. and when is it appropriate, like stress response? Mm-hmm. How do we know the difference? Yeah. So one of the differences, it'll be more long lasting. Okay. If it's a, if it's a response that, in fact, would really um, benefit from some some treatment, some help, some professional help. Um, so it's how long it lasts. It might be the severity, how intense the worry is. Uh-huh. How, how much it interrupts life. It does. And, yeah. and you'll see that anxious kids often have this pattern in their lives. And so if there's one hard thing that happens yeah. and they have this natural response to that hard thing, yeah. it's short-lived and, and they get back on track yeah. with their normal activities and mood and way of being, then I wouldn't worry about it. If it's more, if it's more long-term and they also have had this history yeah. of showing more anxious ways of being in the world, um, then I would get some help. Yeah, and I mean, I think when, when you say that, my mind kind of went spinning thinking, you know, I mean, that's the, I mean, like life is never going to be super easy. It, does, it, it can look like that. Like I think someone could look at my life on a typical day, particularly like how they hear me in a podcast or see me on TV or read about it in the blog and think it's all so easy, right? Mm-hmm. And all of us have remarkable challenges, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when I think about all the children I've had the privilege of interacting with as a teacher and as a doctor and in my community that, you know, one of the amazing things about hardship, right, and recovery is that you have something in your toolkit, mm-hmm. right? If you get through a hard time and you come out on the other side, you know you're sturdier, right? And our kids know, learn that, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, I I think, like, even if they're anxious, we can look back and say, you remember, I mean, literally, my kids, I mean, Seattle children's swimming lessons, terrorizing for me, for my children, like, unbelievable tantrums, turning purple, like, other parents pointing at me, like, awful. And yet we look back at it now with my oldest, and we talk about it as, like, Remember how you couldn't get in the pool? And he doesn't really because he was like three or four. It's like early memories. But we're always like, I mean, you refused and now you can't run into that lake fast enough, right? So I do think there's this opportunity to of shaping for our kids reminders, right? That when they when they 
kind of get through something, that anxiety was a normal, natural response. And look at you. Now you're totally happy, mm-hmm. right? And today's a carnival, and two weeks ago wasn't. I mean, there's something to that, right? I mean, it's really powerful to watch a child face their fears and overcome mm-hmm. it. And then they can know that about themselves. That- yeah, and I, we can point it out, right? I mean, I, I'm kind of prompting you to say that. It's just kind of coming to me like, I should do that more. Like, I should show my kids when they've had a hard time and remind them how great they did. Absolutely. Coming and through. even prompt them to, to notice that themselves. You must be so proud of yourself. What yeah. you did was just so brave yeah. and courageous. Yeah. Well, there's that thing about, you know, courage is facing a big fear and being bold through it, right? That um, it's so hard to be courageous. You know, it's so hard to endure a possible consequence. And yet when we do, gosh, we feel like such a a better constructed person. I think our kids feel that too. You know, I mean, think of kids on like playground equipment, even going farther or higher than they expected and being so proud, right? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, I think when kids accelerate into anything in a group of kids that are older or on a place that's labeled for kids, which we're not recommending really per se, but, you know, being in the playground equipment that says it's for 5 to 11 and it's a three-year-old who knows and sees that and understands something like that. So, well, so the other thing that you've, you've talked a little bit about is that, you know, children learn what children live. Mm -hmm. I I love you saying that. Explain, explain to us what, what you mean by saying that. If a parent is saying, watch your step, we're traveling, we need to get to the airport four hours before the plane takes off. If they're double checking. Oh my God, I know someone in my house that likes to do that. (laughs) If they're double checking, triple checking whether they locked the doors, if they're using Uh, um, their sleeve instead of touching the the doorknob, there's all sorts of ways that we model for our children, and that's a huge part of how children learn also. So how much anxiety we're experiencing, whether they I'm with also, you. Let's have a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. Experience that. Yeah. yeah so I, I love that. I mean, it's so harsh, right, to think that... Um, you know, I think one of my, my pinned tweet, which for those of you who are not on Twitter, at the top of a Twitter feed, you can keep one tweet as the one that lives there. And and the tweet that I have at the top is this kind of like, when you when you realize that your kids remember everything, you recognize or reconnect that parenting is a high stakes job. Mm-hmm. And it's terrifying to think everything I do is being watched and modeled. But I love the way that you say it, that children learn what children live. and And I actually feel a little freedom in it in that gosh, maybe I have triple-checked my bag before we went to the airport. And gosh, maybe that's why my kids are wackadoo about packing the night before we go, their carry-on bag. And But I get to live every day forward from today. And next time I go to the airport, I could be really conscious of not checking my bag and saying, I just packed it last night. Who cares? We're just going to Chicago. There's a Walgreens there if I need it, right? So we can change that, what we're doing, too. Absolutely. By being aware of what we're doing, we can then make the choice about how we respond. We can take those deep breaths. Yeah. We can um, um, think twice about what we're doing. And we can say, I'll pack it and maybe I'll have a list or maybe I'll uh-huh. um, check it once. But then not beyond that and know, like you said, that there's not disastrous consequences. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit. So the children learn what children live. So there's this wacko, intense, powerful modeling that goes on when it comes to anxiety. So, I mean, 
I, I think if you're a kid growing up with a couple anxious parents, which my kids might be, you know, it's going to be tougher not to be anxious or display anxiety that way. Talk a little bit about kind of genes. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about the wor- kind of worried, worried brain, right? Or kind of the wiring of a kid. And I love how you talk about it that way, because I think we just kind of know that about people, right? Like they're wired this way. They're, you know, it's like I have a relative who never minds being late, like doesn't phase them. And when I'm 10 minutes late, I feel kind of awful and guilty about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. I'm just a little uptight when it comes to that. I hate letting people down in that way. And other people who are kind and empathetic and care about me and my time aren't disrespecting me when they're late. They just kind of see the world in a different pace, right? Exactly. So talk a little bit about um, kind of the genetic components of anxiety. So not let's separate nurture, right, and nature. And, and what is the gene part and what is the modeling part? Yeah, so we know that anxiety disorders do run in families and that typically a child who's anxious has one or more parents. Yes, striking. Who are anxious. Anxious. Yeah. Um, The beauty of that is that if you're someone who's anxious and a parent, being aware of that and learning skills to be able to know how to manage that anxiety effectively will really help you know then how to how to be of most help to your child so you decrease the likelihood that they would in fact develop an anxiety disorder yeah so we can just say like allergies right like i mean even hay fever allergies if you got them if your child has them 25 percent chance one of the parents has them too right so um anxiety is the same way so we don't have to be self-critical we could be self-aware exactly <laughs> you know and that's different i think self-criticism for anxious people comes fast and i think self-aware is like oh i am stressed today before i wake the kids up i'm going to go for my run so that the morning just is different you know we can plan accordingly yeah. and i also want kids and parents to know that there's some positive sides about being anxious yeah let's talk about that what's that yeah i mean for one thing anxious people are usually very sensitive and care a lot like your example of what that you don't like to be late yeah, yeah. and you you don't want to do that to people that you care about and right. so you're careful about that um, anxious people can be more sensitive in that way They can be incredibly kind. They can pay Mm -hmm. attention to details in a way that other people might not. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are many strengths of people who are wired together to be more anxious. I love that. I love that. That that being anxious, it's like there's kind of a bouquet, right? Mm -hmm. That there might be some thorns on those roses, but Mm -hmm. there are these like beautiful, you know, dahlias in that mix too that maybe Mm -hmm. other people don't have because of it. That's great. So um, let's talk and kind of let's think a little bit about what happens when we've got an anxious kid and what we might do wrong as parents. And, and the reason I say this is that I want to talk about avoidance. And because mm-hmm. you've shaped so nicely for me to understand that we have to have our kids be courageous, like that, that we have to face something that's terrorizing so they can come out with a badge on the other side that says, I was freaked out to jump off the high dive. And then I did. And it felt like a roller coaster. And it was great. And I was able to even do it again. Right. So what happens when parents do kind of support their child in avoiding something? Or what can we do better? Absolutely. This is really critical. It's one of the most important things for parents to know about how they can be most helpful to their anxious children um, and to not further promote and strengthen anxiety in their kids. So because we care, parents often are scanning the environment particularly if they're wired together to be anxious, to sort of look at those things that might be hard for their kids. And they may do a lot of then um, 
taking care of things for their children. They might become really involved and protective. Uh-huh. They might hover. They might say, oh, helicopter, honey, helicopter, the, the term of the century. Yeah. You, you don't need to do that. I'll take care of that for you. You're afraid to ask the clown for some candy. So I'm afraid to clown. ask the clown for some candy. Wait, <laughs> let's be clear. The clowns are terrifying. Clowns can be scary. <laughs> and then, so when we take over in that way, yeah, yeah. when we don't give them the opportunity to do what's difficult, mm-hmm. when we say, you don't have to do that, when they call from school and say, your child has a stomach ache and is in the nurse's office. And you and say, I'm going to come and get as quick as I can. Exactly. The slumber Uh party. You get that phone call. I'm Uh terrified. And you go and pick them up. Yeah. That every time we do that, what we're really doing is we're teaching our children to avoid rather than face their fears. And we teach them that the world is, in fact, a scary place and that they can't handle it. And so we're really strengthening their anxiety. And instead, when they learn how to face their fears in a gradual, step-by-step, manageable way while using skills that they've learned, then what they really realize is, I can do this. This is manageable. And they feel like you've described that wonderful feeling of being brave and courageous and Mm -hmm. competent and able in the world. Yeah, I love how you said that. I mean, I I love... I, I, I love not feeding anxiety by avoiding and protecting. Exactly. I, it's like a monster. Like, I think about it as, like, you're growing something ugly if you say, I'm going to come and get you, honey, and save you from this. When, when in fact, like, more of what my mom did, I should not have any anxiety because, literally, I grew up in f- tough love. Like, it was kind of like, you're not having a good time? Well, you decided to go to that. We'll see you in the morning. And I'd always be like, oh, like where's the mom who comes and picks me up? But at the same time, right, I do know that I can make it through that sleepover, right? And I'm really glad you brought that up because we can flip to the other side and not be empathic and not and uh-huh. in the process of that, for a lot of anxious kids then it just feels like You're blowing me off. You're blowing me off. Yeah. It's you have you're you've just invalidated my experience. You're yeah. not getting it at all. You don't realize how hard this is yeah. for me. And so what we want is we want a parent to be have empathy to yeah. say, wow, this is really hard, hard for, for you. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's I'm, figure out how we can help you do this, yeah. how you can do this. So you can stay till the morning. And I know that this is hard, but tomorrow morning, those pancakes will taste so great because you now know you can stay to sleepover when you're a little uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, you know, anxiety thinking plays a role in kind of where anxiety comes from. Talk a little bit about that while we close off this podcast. I mean, so expecting bad things to happen. That's just worry, 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 it's worry, exactly worry, what right? happens in that worry brain. And I'll yeah. give Tamar Chonsky and authors the credit for coming up with that yeah. term, worry brain. Worry brain, yeah. Worry Who, brain. Say the author's name again. Tamar Chonsky, C-H-A-N-S-K-Y. Okay. And she's got great websites and books Okay, we'll anxiety. put it on the blog, too. Okay, Definitely. Good. Yeah. And um, she uses the concept of the worry brain. And yeah. when you're in worry brain mode, um, you generate all kinds of negative thoughts. You're expecting terrible things to happen. You're overestimating the likelihood of bad things happening. Yep. And those bad things that are going to happen are going to be the worst possible. So that person that's late in coming home, mm. you know, wasn't yep. just in a car accident, yeah. but maybe it's a in fatal car, or, yeah. or, mm-hmm. car yeah. accident. Something terrible has happened mm-hmm. to them. So we overestimate the likelihood. Of I am nodding my head happen. here because I just want to like I want, I'm raising my hand and I am one of those people that can get to the place where I'm like someone's 20 minutes late and they're in the ditch and they're unconscious because they were in a car accident. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things so, we teach kids instead yeah. is to check the facts or mm-hmm. detective thinking, as we call it, with kids to really look at, well, 
what are some alternative explanations and what's the likelihood of that? And mm-hmm. in past times when mom's been late getting home, what were some of the reasons she for that? She was chatting with her friends too long. She yeah. was chatting. She got caught in traffic. She yeah. stopped at the grocery store to get dinner. Yeah. All sorts of possibilities. Yeah. So we help kids be able to think more realistically and to instead shift to these um, coping and calming and more effective realistic thinking. Yeah. I feel a little bit better. I think I was anxious when we start. I'm not kidding. Like, I do feel a little better. So in summary, um, you know, Dr. Melman's here helping us understand kind of where anxiety comes from. We know there's a genetic component. So there's this wiring piece that if your child is a bit anxious, you might be too. And and that's okay that there's gift and beauty in being anxious because maybe of your empathy, your attention to detail, your care and lovingness, that we certainly know anxiety is also just about being human, that acting in anxious ways to highly stressful situations are appropriate. But when they carry on for maybe days to weeks and they interfere with sleep or a child doesn't want to go to school or they don't want to be on a sports team anymore or they won't do a play date because they're too nervous about how it's going to go, that's when we think it might really be anxiety that needs an intervention and support. How we model getting ready for a trip, how we model um, getting ready for dinner and getting ready for a talk, how we get, how we model all the stressful things of a, even a death in our family or a loss of a friend or a move or a big change is really important because I love your phrase, children learn what children live. And so we can't control everything in our child's life, but we can control how we respond to it, right? And that's that's really the difference and that the wonderful gift, I mean, of anything I learned today, I just got goosebumps saying it, the wonderful gift for me of this podcast with you, Kathy, is that I am going to think more carefully about the gift of hardship in life and that coming through it a hardship moment and with my kids and acknowledging and like looking up at the sky and saying, last Tuesday was terrible and we're doing great today. We're giggling and laughing at the kitchen table because we coped with that really hard loss or we coped with that really horrific insult. And we did it because we you know, which we're going to talk about in our next podcast, we did some deep breathing, we connected with our friends, we slept, we had a great dinner, we turned our cell phones off, whatever it is, we realize that in ourselves without anything else, we can get over this and that we can show our children great strength and bravery in young years as they come through times and longstanding times of anxiety. Thank you, Dr. Melman. Thank you, Wendy. (laughs) It's really nice to have you here. Um, Thanks for listening. The reality is parenting is a high-stakes job. But the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at seattlemamadoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 